Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode 58. I'm Ryan Wilson. That's Rick Spielman. We're smack dab in the middle of the summer draft talk, I suppose, Rick, which means we're looking forward before we look back. Today, we're going to go around the league and see how rookies and even second and third year players are doing at the old NFL mini camps here. What are the expectations uh, now compared to where they might be in the fall? And how those expectations might change, not only from June till, say, November, but from year one to year two and, and so on. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And, Rick, it's worth noting you were at the Dolphins minicamp with uh, our good buddy Pete Prisco and field producer Dane uh, a few days ago. So we'll get into that. And, uh, by the way, in case you missed it, on Monday, Rick and I took a look back at the 2020 NFL draft and even had a top 10 2020 draft do-over. Which, uh, Rick, I should point out, I got a few messages from folks who listen, and they actually sided with you about the logistics of the draft do-over. So <laughs> I'm going to take that to mean that my draft was better than your draft. Next time, we'll, maybe we'll do it both ways so we can we can placate everyone. Who uh, they sided with? You. They thought your your notion that maybe we should pair the picks with the teams made more sense than just doing a big board? Yeah, yeah, that made sense to me. I, I don't know. It's just, you know, some people are <laughs> – understand what the draft process is about <laughs> and understand that you have to pick, you don't just line them up and pick one through 32 based on ability. Hey, sometimes I clustered my picks and I just went down the list and checked off names. It was pretty easy for me. And uh, I would say that you don't have any room to complain because my 2020 draft was a home run, but it turns out your real life 2020 draft was pretty good too. So I can't really call you out too much. Yeah, no, but I don't, again, I don't want to get to go down this oh rabbit gosh. hole. And it's <laughs> Sorry, like, Debo. is it a home run if I pick the person in the team that took him, or is it a home run if the guy actually was a pretty good player or not? Well, I should point out in my last 2020 mock draft, I had the team, the Vikings taking Justin Jefferson, the superstar. So I win on both counts. Yeah, you one on one, but I mean, you gave you got credit for Okuda, who is uh, no longer, okay. and, and God forbid if we ever have Pete on here again, the <laughs> philosophical discussions we had on redrafting. <laughs> I had a headache and I had to drive three hours home after the Dolphins uh, mini camp. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. And by the way, next week. We take another little stroll down memory lane, and Debo has only written on the rundown, Rick. More historical fun. So we'll find out together what that means next week. And uh, we'll see about the schedule in, in part because I have jury duty and, and we'll see. I'm not being, I'm not on trial, just to be clear, jury duty. So we'll see what, what my uh, job may be going forward next week. So we, we'll have a more specific time and date for you, but it'll be some, uh, some history lessons. So hopefully Rick, you can learn something. Yeah, no. And then I'll be at uh, Jacksonville's Ooh. mini camp on Monday. I'll be at Tampa's mini camp on Tuesday. So uh, we should have some insight coming from those camps as well. If Debo uh, would put that into the rundown so we can talk about that. he I'm sure he will. He's hes pretty good like that. Is that the end of your – oh, my gosh. So if you're watching on YouTube, you see the jury duty um, trailer with my face on it. I look pretty, pretty dapper. And Debo, when you sent me that initially, I didn't realize it was a show and actually watched a few episodes of it. It's, it's actually pretty funny. Do you know, can I give a quick jury duty uh, story? Yeah, it's middle, it's middle of summer. We got nothing to do. What, what's your jury duty story? So uh, one of the side jobs is I have a few side jobs. 
is yeah, an expert witness on cases. So last <laughs> summer, that's last spring, uh, first time uh, I, w- I was flew out to uh, the West. I won't, uh, I'll keep all the innocent away from it. And I was actually an expert witness and I had to go into the, into the stand. And I was looking at, looked up a lot of people, just like you saw that jury box duty thing. Uh, looked exactly maybe the same jury that I had, <laughs> so, but I had to talk to the judge to ask her to come out of the well or to go down in the well. So I was a huge fan of Law and Order, and I watched all the Law and Orders. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst thing to give me permission to go down in the well. So I started walking in front of the jury box, just like oh. I seen on. You thought you were on television. Oh, oh yeah just like law and order and leaned in like this <laughs> combination block is. And then I'm showing it up on video and then I'm explaining it. So Did the uh, judge have to tell you to tone it down or she was all into it. Uh, yeah. She told me to take, go back in this, in the box. <laughs> uh, Mr. Spielman, please sit down. <laughs> you know, the one thing I learned that, that I did not know um, I took my notes, just like we have notes for this show my whole half page of notes and my, you know, the reading I have to do about how much I respect you every time we do this show. (laughs) You get it memorized by now. So I did not know when I went up there that they can get called in discovery, I think, or the, the opposing, I call it the opponent uh, said, what do you have in those notes? And I said, just my handwritten notes. They said, did you submit these? I said, no. Then bam, it was like uh, the two lawyers started arguing right in front of me. Uh, the, the representatives that I had that I was working for said, you can't take his notes. The other guy, the other uh, opponent said, yeah, we do. So next thing I know, the judge calls him into the hallway behind the bench. And I hear this shouting and screaming. They come back in and they take all my notes. And, so let me uh, ask who was, sh- was the judge shouting or just the two attorneys? I started shouting at the two uh, wow. lawyers that were arguing, but the two uh, lawyers that were arguing were going at each other pretty good. It was, but quite they weren't they weren't yelling at her, right? They they followed that decorum. Oh yeah, no, they weren't yelling at her. She would yeah. have had them in contempt and probably threw them in the pokey for twenty four <laughs> hours. <laughs> did uh, while you were out there giving your little law and order routine, did uh, the other side object to anything you were saying? Oh, they objected to everything I was saying, just like you do, and just like Pete does, just like Debo does. I object. You can't say that on this podcast. I did win my. I, I'm two and zero oh now in wow. this cases. I've had two that? far and uh, been called twice, and uh, I am two and zero. Oh. I am undefeated on whoever hired me and uh, the uh, presentation that I gave. Amazing. Uh, Pete fancies himself something as a as a lawyer, so uh, maybe. And you two like to argue a lot. By the way, let me ask you this hypothetical. Let's say we're in a dire situation. Debo gets a speeding ticket that he has to get out of, and you have to represent him because there are no other attorneys within a 500-mile radius. Could you represent Debo and get him off that speeding ticket? Oh, yeah. I could do anything in my own mind. <laughs> I don't yeah. think Debo feels very good about his chances. You know the worst ticket I've ever got? Um, I Because I, when someone questions my integrity, I've been – fighting with my bank for two months because they were saying I was in one place and I was in another place and there was a fraudulent charge. So it's been a two month just fighting back and forth. But I actually had gotten a ticket when, you know, they paint the yellow lines uh, between the roads. (laughs) Yeah. What'd you do? Uh, Well, I made a left-hand turn and I went over the yellow line that was freshly painted. <laughs> I got pulled over. Good. You ruined that guy's day. He's trying to do his job, and you're running through the lines. But how was I supposed to make a left-hand turn? I would imagine, like, in the middle of the intersection, the lines don't continue, so there's there's no paint anywhere in the middle of the intersection. Correct? Well, so I had to take pictures. I thought I didn't, cu- I didn't go over the line. They said I did, so I had, like, a $50 ticket. <laughs> I fought it all the way to – I was taking it to the Supreme Court because – I did not have yellow paint on my tire, and I took. Oh, pictures. no yellow paint on your tire? No, no. Oh. But they saw a tire mark. Uh, they assumed it was you. It was mine, and I did win that one as well. Look so at this mode. guy. If you ever need anything, I'm pretty good at uh, putting up a uh, an opinion on something. Debo's no comment. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that's that's a good story. Interesting. 
Good is that what your uh, potential case is? Someone I'll, I'll find out. Freshly painted yellow line. I hope not. That would be very, very disappointing. Uh, by the way, I should know. As always, you can watch us live on YouTube at NFL on CBS and give us a thumbs up while you're there and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star review. And one more thing, Rick, and this is why you need to hustle for the Paramount Plus, although you can watch it on CBS if you don't have Paramount Plus. Saturday on CBS. One of the most celebrated soccer tournaments in the world is down to two clubs. Who are those two clubs, Rick? That is Man City and AC Milan. Inter Milan. You were close. Yep. In the UEFA Champions League final, our world-class coverage uh, will be on the pitch with live coverage beginning Saturday at 1.30 Eastern on CBS. Looking forward to that, man. Huge. Yeah, that's the uh, Super Bowl of soccer, isn't it, over there? The Super Bowl of soccer, and we have the rights to it. All right, let's get to it. Mini camp news and notes. They can win the Triple Crown, right? They won the Premier League. They won the FA Cup, and they potentially can win the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah, they call that the the treble. They don't call it the Triple Crown. They call it the treble. But, yeah, absolutely. That would be huge. And Pep Guardiola, the coach of Man City, or the manager for Man City, has not won – Champions League with Man City. That's the whole reason he's there. One of the big reasons. Uh, he did win it with Barca. I'm not you sure. Know, if he like you and him kind of. You took your glasses away. You kind of look like twins. You guys. Look I know like a lot of similarities. How about that? Me, Pep Guardiola, and Mike Garofolo. We should start a <laughs> start a a looky a looky like contest, as they call it in England. All right, mini camps. Teams with mandatory mini camps this week, Rick, include the Browns, the Cowboys, the Lions, Raiders, Dolphins, 49ers, Seahawks, Titans, and Commanders. And I mentioned it briefly in the last podcast, and you looked at me like I was crazy, which you often do. But uh, as general manager, you were always at these mini camp practices uh, from start to finish. You just checked in. What are you looking for? Oh, I'll, what are you I'll doing? There the whole time down there oh. watching practice. So now you're just uh, out there kind of watching. Uh, seeing how the guys that again, it's they're running around in shorts, so there's not a lot of contact. It's hard to get a true evaluation of these guys until the pads come on, but you can see their athleticism, you can see the quarterbacks throw, the running backs run receivers, DBs covers just as long as there's no full contact. So we'll talk about this in more detail later in terms of just the young quarterbacks, but there's a clip going around. And I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm just going to mention it. There's a clip going around last week of the quarterbacks in Tennessee going through drills, and that includes, of course, Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis, last year's third-round pick, and, of course, um, Will Levis, this year's second-round pick. And they're going through drills to turn around the throwing at a net. And Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis hit the net, and Will Levis airballs it over the net. Uh, it looked like Tim Tebow back in the day. And no, I'm not trying to you know, give Tim Tebow – have him catching strays out of here, but just uh, that visual. You care about that if you're standing on the sidelines watching your no. franchise quarterback? No, because the uh, press or the media may only be out there for the first 15 minutes. So you, you get a chance to see the rest of the practice. You watch the tape, the evaluation. So just because there's one five-second clip of a guy throwing the ball over the uh, net does not indicate he may have had a hell of, heck of a practice. Who knows? Right. But Someone just caught that clip, so everybody wants to react to just one clip, which is absolutely insane to me. <laughs> yes. Start calling you Matlock. As someone who uh, relies on the evidence, <laughs> Matlock Spielman does not want to wait, uh, put too much weight into a five-second clip. Uh, all right, I'm going to ask you this question and try to answer it the best way you can. Have you ever been to a practice, second, third, fourth, maybe even first mini camp practice and been like, oh, my God, the person we drafted is not the person we thought he was. Uh, I, I always reserve judgment. I mean, you know, coaches are a little bit more uh, instant evaluators. Oh, okay. Um, but I, you know, from the front office side, you try to be as patient and look at the global, the big picture before you just start judging things off of one or two practices, especially with no pads on. You'll you'll have a pretty good indication probably between the first two weeks to three weeks of training camp on, on where these players are and if they're going to be able to contribute or not their first year. 
All right, reading between the lines, that to me says you have had thoughts deep down the, the, that were, oh boy, <laughs> let's hope this works out. <laughs> have you ever had thoughts where after a handful of just mini camp practice, you're like, okay, this guy has a little more juice than we thought? Yeah, but then they put the pads on and all of a sudden that juice got squeezed out of it or something. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why you temper your enthusiasm either one way or the other. Okay. All right. Well, I watched HQ earlier in the week, so I was eager to see what you and old Petey Prisco had to say at we on Paramount Plus. I would have watched it. I don't have Paramount Plus. I no. want it, but I still don't have it. You to have it. You just don't know how to put in the, the password, but we'll help you with that. I told you that. Um, and I, I I'm like you, I'm a man of my word. But I was watching on CBS Sports HQ and CBS Sports uh spotlight on the CBS Sports Network. You and Pete down there um talking to some of the office players I, I saw the interview with jalen ramsey and it, my first thought about jalen ramsey seeing him is number one he's tall he's taller than you uh, we two, were about the same he had he had uh spikes on uh-huh so, i well, know he, we're both taller than pete you, yes <laughs> and he was also very measured like he's he, he's very outspoken when he's on the football field and you see him on the field john and wide receivers and that's that's who he is, and he, that's what, in part, what makes him great. But he was very measured in his his responses, and I, th- I found that interesting. How players can be completely different on the field and off the field. Uh, but you talked to him. What were your overall takeaways uh, at the mini camp? Because the conversation starts with Tua, and I heard Pete say on the telecast that Tua looked thicker, and that's certainly one of the concerns with Bryce Young. And I, I think if Tua can stay healthy, this team can certainly be a playoff team and perhaps make a deep playoff run. Yeah, no, uh, Tua looked. Uh, he is very thick through his lower body. Looked like he's added some very good weight. I thought we were there last training camp that his arm looked stronger. He looked more comfortable in the offense because it is his second year. So he's been through a season. Uh, he has a relationship with Mike McDaniel. You can see that out on the field. They're talking a lot. Um, I know Miami's probably on the offense and defense is a whole nother discussion, but made some adjustments. To, to what they do, uh, but you can see just the level of confidence, knowing the system, uh, seeing Tua get through his progressions, um, and the decision making. Even though it was just a mini camp and in shorts, but just seemed crisper, quicker processing, and much more comfortable than we saw maybe the, when it was getting installed last year, and him still trying to figure out. But there was no question. I think before he started getting the concussions, he was having a, uh, a, a, a an MVP type year as far as from a numbers and production standpoint. So I think uh, you should expect some big things from this Dolphins offense. Pete made a great point while we were down there is that I think Mike McDaniel's going to grow not only as a head coach, but an offensive coordinator because he does call the plays as well. There was a situation I think was in Buffalo last year. Oh, yeah that uh, he threw the ball, I think, three times on third short, and they're going to have to be able to run the ball. And, uh, you know, if Mostert's back and healthy, Wilson, and then A-Chain, what we'll talk about in a little bit, plus the playmakers uh, at the receiver position. Um, But it's all going to come down to how they develop up front because they did not make, out of all the moves they made, and I think they made some very significant moves, Chris Greer did, this offseason, but mm. the offensive line will be the biggest question going into uh, training camp. Now, they brought in Isaiah Wynn. Uh, he was lined up at left guard the day I was down there or the day we watched it. So he has not been worked to tackle. Uh, Armstead, I don't believe in his entire career, has made it through a 16 or 17 game season. That's another concern of mine. Uh, Jackson, I did not see practice much. Uh, Austin Jackson, the right tackle? Yeah, Austin Jackson. Uh, Eichenberg was in uh, playing center, so they've moved him around at different positions. And then uh, biggest one was that Connor Williams is holding out right now, and he was not down in camp. And they just signed him last year from Dallas. uh, It was a two-year contract, so he's entering the final year of his contract, so I'm sure – that they're trying to work out something uh, to potentially extend him because he was having a pretty good year for him last year at center before uh, he got banged up a little bit. So 
I mean, this isn't any grand proclamation, but you can have Jalen Waddle, you can have Tyreek Hill, you can have uh, the running backs that we talked about in Tua Tagovailoa. If your offensive line is a problem, none of that other stuff matters because <laughs> it just it, it just doesn't work if you don't have an offensive line. So, on a scale of one to ten, and we're sitting here on June eighth, what's your concern level with the offensive line in Miami? Uh, probably a five out of ten right now. All right, um, they, but they have to stay healthy. That's the yeah. number one thing. And then I think. Uh, Mike McDaniel, from a play calling standpoint, when he came from San Francisco, a lot of their offense, again, they have a very good offensive line, but based on the running game. And I think when Mike McDaniel, his first time as a head coach, you get all these new shiny toys out there running around that maybe he got away from that philosophy a little bit. And maybe he uh, learned some things as a first time offensive coordinator slash yeah. head coach and understands that at certain points in the game, hopefully you're going to be able to run the ball. And if they can run the ball effectively next year, I think they're going to be uh, very good. They were just looking at, they were like tied for 25th in rushing offense last year. They were fourth in passing offense. So if they can get that even up into the uh, top half of the league, that's going to be a tremendous help. And it'll take some pressure off of two as well, off of two as well, and him getting pinged around uh, in that pocket. Yeah, and you talked about this when we were doing our pro day tour. Like the the things you didn't know as a GM the first go round, which you were I think late thirties uh, when you get your first stint as late uh, as a general manager, to what you knew uh, twenty years later when you were general manager, it was night and day. So. Even though we typically talk about Tua growing into the role in year two, year three, whatever. Mike McDaniel, yeah, he went to Yale. Yeah, he coached under Kyle Shanahan. Obviously still has a ton of room for growth, and, and we saw that last year in some of the mistakes he made, and he's a smart dude. He's a little quirky, but that doesn't mean he's not good at his job. And um, he, he certainly has an opportunity to, to, to grow into that. And Let me what, what will help him grow as well is getting Vic Fangio. Yeah. Good point. Uh, because Vic Fangio has been a head coach. He's been a longtime coordinator, maybe the best defensive coordinator in the league. And so having a Vic Fangio on your staff that has that type of experience, that is a great resource to lean on uh, during the season. And as they're going through these OTAs, it, that's going to be a, a huge factor on Mike McDaniel growth as well. So the Dolphins only had a handful of draft picks because uh, they got docked a first-round pick for tampering um, last with the Tom Brady and and the Sean Payton stuff, I believe. But let me ask you about the rookies that were there. You mentioned uh, Devin A. Chain, the running back out of Texas A&M, who was absolutely explosive. They also drafted Cam Smith, a cornerback out of South Carolina. And, um, you know, the, the things that I had heard about Cam Smith was that good athlete needs to be a better teammate. So – I want to ask you first about um, Cam Smith. Did you get a chance to see him at all in number one and number two? What effect does the aforementioned Vic Fangio have on a guy who's a good athlete but maybe is, is, needs to, to mature a little bit? Yeah, two things. Uh, he was running with the second group out there. They okay. were rotating a lot of the young guys in and out this time of year. There was no question when you watched his movement skills, you can see the athleticism. Big Fangio's system is more of a zone-type system, a cover four, which means four across the board on a deep half. Vic does not want to give up big plays, uh, and they'll do. But the one thing about this defense, and when we talked to Jalen Ramsey a little bit about it, it is a complicated defense that takes time. And I don't know. It just looked a few times watching him. There may have been some mental bust, but that's normal, yeah. especially this time of year coming in and trying to learn a new system and a system uh, like Vic Fangio runs. But what makes Vic Fangio's system so unique is that the pre-snap and what they're showing and what the quarterback may think the coverage is and then how they change post-snap as a totally different coverage, and that's why it's been so effective. Um, but they're going to play probably, I, I imagine there'll be, there'll be some two man and some things like that, but a lot of different types of zone coverage and combination coverages. And that takes time alert. But last year, 
under Boyer, they were a lot of blitzing and a lot of uh, man coverage. So that's why they gave up some big plays. And I think they were ranked 27th in pass defense last year. But I understand they had a lot of injuries on the back end as well. And uh, a lot of guys missed a lot of time. But I think they will start to eliminate some of the big plays that were given up last year. Granted, they stay healthy. And now that you went out and get a Jalen Ramsey to team up with Xavion Howard, mm. uh, that's going to be uh, maybe, if not the best, one of the best uh, quarterback or cute or cornerback tandems in the league. Right. And they know Igbenogany still there, former first round pick. He's falling down the depth chart, uh, but he's able to refine himself. And the ironic thing about what you just said there, Rick, is that. Uh, while rookies typically, especially long athletic rookies, typically are better in man coverage, uh, that's what ends up giving up big plays. And that's to your point. Also, zone defense sounds easy. You just stand in a zone. But as you sort of noted there, it can become incredibly complicated. And when cornerbacks have to think, that's when they get beat because they're not able just to, to react and, and play football. So we'll see what that means for Cam Smith. A little easier path to the field, I would imagine, is Devon A-Chain, uh, who is – electric and while he's undersized he can run inside or out it is funny that uh, they just keep stockpiling running backs there a chain's basically the same size as mike mcdaniel if you're watching on youtube you can see the, the picture of them walking uh, on the field there raheem mostert jeff wilson jr who feel like the same player uh devin a chain uh savan ahmed still on the roster miles gaskins there and i'll ask you about a chain first and then i'll ask you about the interest perhaps in dalvin cook and how he might fit in such a crowded running back room? Yeah, A-Chain, there is no question. You can see the explosiveness. Um, you can see him cut on a dime. Uh, again, the offensive defensive linemen are pulling up, but you can see the movement skills, the speed, everything that you've seen on tape at Texas A&M when he came out. Caught the ball extremely well uh, during the practice session I was at, so I could see him being utilized in a lot of different ways in this offense. The biggest thing is that they have to have the depth at the running back because Mostert's uh, had some durability issues. Wilson has some durability issues. So I think A-Chain will have a big effect uh, or be a factor uh, in his rookie year down there. I'm excited to see when the pads come on and, and see uh, all the things that we saw on tape uh, that will translate. And from what I saw at practice, it looks like, that it will. So knowing what you just said, why would there be any interest in Dalvin Cook? Because if you have A-Chain and you have Wilson and you have Mostert, where does Dalvin Cook fit into that? I just think it, you're just, and Chris Greer has done a great job <laughs> collecting toys. And if you can end up with an, a Dalvin Cook down there, that's just going to be one more explosive playmaker on that offensive side of the ball. Um, but, you know, we talked about that, and it was great from the media standpoint to kind of, hey, what if you put Dalvin Cook in that offense too and just think what that would be, which it would uh, because Dalvin Cook is still a very good football player and still a very explosive playmaker. Um, but I think that I, I tried to, as I was sitting there watching practice, I just invested a draft pick in A-Chain. I want to get make sure he gets on the field. So – do I do make a move to try to get a Dalvin Cook or not? Right. But uh, to put him in the backfield uh, with all the playmakers that they have, that would be a, a very, very exciting uh, offense. And with the durability concerns on some of the other running backs, because they're all smaller running backs, um, that Dalvin Cook would be a, definitely a great addition, in my opinion, down in Miami if Minnesota moves on from him. So, Rick, your good buddy Tom Pelissero just reported as we were doing this podcast that the Vikings and four-time Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook are parting ways per source. So that's not necessarily a surprise, but it sounds like it's becoming official. And you know Tom really well, so, I mean, there's no re he, he's a great reporter, so this is certainly going to happen. What are your thoughts about this? He'll be 27, Dalvin Cook will, um, and he'll have a lot of people interested in his services, but given the way the running back market has gone, it may not be at the price he wants. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, you look at Zeke Elliott who's out there and, and him still trying to hold on to see what type of monies are out there, but it doesn't seem like teams are going to 
put a lot of monies into that position, especially if you're going into a situation uh, that it's going to be running back by committee, which seems to be the trend nowadays. But uh, if they do release him or when they release him, it sounds like if they can't, I'm sure they're trying to hold on to see if they can get any type of trade going on. But then I think Dalvin Cook's 27, he's still in the prime of his career, uh, will have an opportunity to pick and choose which team he wants to go to. So if I called you and you're the Vikings GM and I offered you a fifth round pick for Dalvin Cook, would you take it prior to right now, obviously? Yeah, no, I probably, you'd probably try to field to see what is the best you can get in draft capital. Now, maybe that's the best you can get in draft capital, but then it is, okay, we'll let, I know where our cap situation is. I know we have to get something done with Justin Jefferson. I know what that is going to cost. So if I can get anything for Dalvin Cook, you come to a point, I always said the 11th hour, where if I can't get anything, uh, I will take any, uh, and before we release them, would you take a fifth round pick? I'd rather have a fifth round pick than just outright release him. So right. take what you can get at this point. Gotcha. I don't know the history or how many calls they've made and how much interest was out there in a, in potentially trading. And I don't know. You can drive the price up a little bit if there's multiple suitors. I don't know if there's multiple suitors out there as far as a trade because of his contract number. So that's probably inhibiting some teams from maybe trading for him. And the other point is they probably know the situation that Minnesota is in from a cap standpoint, right? Knowing that, Hey, you're going to have to, uh, you know, extend Justin Jefferson. There's been rumors out there that uh, maybe Daniil Hunter is out on the market too, as well. And some suitors may be out there for him. So, uh, but they do have, they have to start resetting from a cap standpoint and, Every time you do these type of deals, and when we did Dalvin Cook's deal, you always look at the three years, the first three years of the deal. The player wants the cash, as much cash as he can get in the first three years. But some of those out years where if you do release them, it ends up saving you cap space. Um, and those numbers are inflated a little bit um, because, you know, after three years, you're going to either have you're going to have to make a decision on that player as well. So. They're in a situation right now where I think that if they can't get everything, they just may. It looks like they're just going to outright cut him, and then yeah. I, I I anticipate that he'll have a pretty pretty good market out there because of his age and because of how he still plays. But I may be wrong too. I thought DeAndre Hopkins he's he's out there looking and still hasn't found a partner. But you do have time between now and uh, training camp. Uh, to basically take your time and analyze the team you're going to and how you fit into that team. And a lot of that uh, also falls on the agent's responsibility too, to not only try to get the best deal that may be out there, but also uh, the best team fit too. Right. I imagine Dalvin Cook does not probably want to go to a rebuild. He wants to go to a team that, that is a contender because he's getting it to that point in his career. Yeah. All right. One last thing before we go to break here. We we talked about Devin A. Change a second ago. Dalvin Cook potentially maybe makes makes sense in Miami. We'll we'll see. But they only had a handful of draft picks. I think it's fair to say one of their needs is offensive line. And these are the players that were drafted after A Chain, who I think is a great player. But I want to get your thoughts on whether you're taking A Chain and you have your choice of Wanya Morris, the offensive lineman out of Oklahoma. You can take Nick Saldaveri out of ODU, who we saw at the Senior Bowl, had a great week. Blake Freeland, my guy at BYU. Jake Andrews out of Troy. And Dewan Jones are all available. Are you taking Devin A-Chain if you're Chris Greer, the, the Dolphins GM still, or might you focus on offensive linemen? No, because I think those offensive linemen aren't going to make an immediate impact right away. Some okay. of them have the up. But A-Chain can come in and make an immediate impact. And I don't know how Chris Greer and them feel about their offensive line, but, you know, Armstead and if Eichenberg starts a guard, uh, Connor Williams, Hunt, Robert Hunt, who still I think is a functional uh, solid starter at the other guard position, and and Austin Jackson, who needs to take a step. Yeah. Because he's been the one that's been the biggest disappointment. 
Um, but then now you went out and signed Isaiah Wynn, Dan Feeney as well. So you have some depth. So I think all of those offensive linemen may have potential to be good players down the road, but I don't think any of them will be an immediate impact or an immediate starter to what they currently have as their starting five. Um, so I would have taken A-Chain. I would agree with that. He's just too good of a football player to pass up to take a, I won't call him project, but someone that may help you down the line, but may not be an immediate impact this year. And where their roster is right now and the way they have been aggressive and going out and making trades. So if you looked at their draft pick, I know they only had four, but you got to throw in Jalen Ramsey. You yeah. have to throw in uh, Chubb as well. Yep. And then so those two are pretty good as far as part of being this year's draft class as well. They they so, might have gotten drafted pretty high. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree with everything, and I I think Chris Greer is doing a fantastic job. Yeah, totally. job all right, today. we get it. GMs are sticking together. Okay, you're not going to say anything controversial. Fair enough. You love Chris Greer. Well, all right, fine. Uh, no, I, I love AJ too. I love Chubb. I love Jalen Ramsey. No, I get it. All right, I just want to throw that out there. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back, and we'll look at some other teams. Friendly. All right, Rick, let's head out to one of my favorite places. Speaking before we get into that, if you watch yeah. the advertisement on YouTube, how about the uh, PGA and the Live Golf Ooh. coming together? And the guys have turned down hundreds of millions oh, of dollars boy. to go to Live. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, but that's just a whole – it just reminded me on that com uh, commercial right there. But – you know, that's what I, I turned down the live opportunity to be on this podcast. <laughs> you <laughs> I didn't know PGA was going to uh, merge with them. So that's uh, that'll be interesting on, on how that goes forward, because I think there may be a lot of uh, players that may not be happy that no. honored their commitment to the PGA. Well, I, I say it all the time. You are the Greg Norman of this podcast, so it makes sense. <laughs> Is he a supporting <laughs> actor, too? No, he is not a supporting actor. He's a pain in the arse to the PGA. <laughs> um, a little fun fact here before we get back to football here. Uh, one of my buddies from middle school is now an economist uh, at the University of Utah, I believe. And he wrote a paper about this live PGA merger and how historically it's not that uncommon and how historically it turns out to be bad for the players. The NFL, the NHL, the NBA, all the big sports leagues have had mergers at various points. And uh, this is just the latest example of that. It doesn't make sense on paper, like why would the PGA merge with Live? But I tweeted it out, so go look at uh, my Twitter feed and you can read it. And it's you wanted uh, a conspiracy theory? No, it's based. Think, oh, yeah. you have one. Go ahead. What's yours? I think if it would have went to court, that there is some dirt out there that uh, they wanted to make sure never became public. I don't know what that dirt is, but in my men's golf league with all the eighty-five-year-olds that I play with, yeah. They're there. They had a lot of conspiracy theories going on yesterday. Oh gosh, I thought you were going to say with all your experience in the courtroom. That's what it came. It came from the eighty-five year old. Oh, I'm, I'm adding that into my uh, <laughs> evaluation. Yeah. All right, you got to hear first from uh, from Rick Spielman. Isn't it amazing, I'm great at everything, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in my own amazing. mind. Yeah, yeah, no one else's mind but mine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You got some Vikings fans that are still huge Spielman, Spielman lovers. All right, let's go to Seattle. Another guy who loves you, John Schneider, came up to you and was laughing, laughing it up about the podcast when we were at Ohio State. He's a big fan. Pete Carroll's still the head coach there. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, how their two first-round picks are really good first-round picks, but also unconventional in the sense of what the media expected. Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback. And then they circle back and get Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver. And uh, they've both been dealing with injuries at practice. And just this is the time of year where these rookies have been training solely for the combine and all the silly season stuff that they're asked to do. And then they have to go back into football mode. And sometimes and oftentimes, actually, we see injuries. So are you concerned about the injuries? And did you have a plan for easing these rookies back into football shape based on what they did previously from January to a uh, April or whatever? And um what is that plan? And then would you sort of ease them into the process as you got into training camp and then the course of the season? Yeah, I think uh, even back five or six years ago, we just threw them in there and they just, they just went. And that's, I think with the way sports science is coming up uh, now and how important that is. And, 
you know, when they come in, they do all these tests, this force plate testing on if yeah. one hamstring is equal to the other hamstring or any imbalances because they're trying to predict potential injuries. I think more and more teams are bringing them in slowly, understanding what they have had to go through in this pre-draft process uh, and not actually working on specific football uh, field drills because they're doing all these testing numbers and preparing for that and all the traveling that they're doing, going on these uh, top 30 visits. So I think more and more teams are being following what sports science is doing and how you slowly implement them so you can prevent injuries. Now you can't prevent, you know, muscle injuries because these guys, you know, they're going through an hour and a half practice out there, individual drills, seven on seven team drills, and they're going full speed. And all these rookies are gun ho to try to prove themselves on why they were worthy of getting drafted where they got drafted or why, uh, or, the later round guys or college free agents trying to make an impression that, Hey, I want to throw my hat in the ring on making a 53 or practice squad. So their mind says something, but maybe their bodies aren't ready for what their mind is telling them what to do. Very similar to my golf game right now. Mm -hmm. I know what my mind is telling me what to do, but I'm in a very downward spiral and very disappointed in myself. I almost didn't come on this podcast because I was going to go bang the rock pile and hit two hours of balls again today but i know how important i am in my supporting role to you and the debo <laughs> in this podcast but you just have to be cautious because they're learning so much and then they're like i said they're all excited to go out there and try to prove themselves that they're nfl players and you just have to take a more cautious approach on some of these guys because they're not lining up and playing next week Right. They got plenty of time. Uh, and But most of the time, if they do have these minor injuries, teams will just hold them out just to make sure that they are healthy uh, when they get ready to come back and report to training camp. So we talked about a little bit with Cam Smith, the, the cornerback, uh, the rookie cornerback in Miami. Who has a better, in your mind, who has is more likely to be an impact player for Seattle? Cornerback Devin Witherspoon? Or is it going to be Jackson Smith and Jigba who will have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett also running routes with them? I think um, Jackson Smith and Jigba will have a big impact for them this year. Um, but Weatherspoon's coming in and starting right away. Mm. And so uh, I think they both will have a, a, an immediate impact. That's hard to pick right now between one or the other. And now you're saying both of them were banged up. And both of them had a little bit of a durability concern, right? Witherspoon couldn't do anything during the pre-drafts process till late. Right. Uh, the, the Jackson Smith and Jigba missed all last year with a hamstring and then, you know, was able to. Well, be let's be clear. I don't think the hamstring lingered for eight months. I think it was probably six weeks and they, okay. he made a business decision. Just me speculating. Okay, well, there you go. There's uh, Dr. Ryan Wilson's opinion. <laughs> it didn't cost you anything either. Wow. And that's what it's worth. All right, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And I think, like I said, I love both picks. I think both picks uh, make a ton of sense when you take a step back and they're not just staring at the mock draft. All right, let's travel eastward to Detroit and see what old Jameer Gibbs is up to. And here's Devo's question to you, Rick. How big a role... Could Jameer Gibbs play in the Lions pass game? And I'm watching a clip here from practice where he's running routes, which is not a surprise if you watched him uh, at Alabama. He's coming out of the slot here. And if you watch him at the pro day, and he's going to be a matchup problem. So we know he's going to run the ball, but what do you think his impact will be and how often might he be used as a receiver? Debo must have not listened to any of the podcasts we had on every time I've talked about Jameer Gibbs. So, I don't think once I've ever said that he's a running back. I said he's an offensive playmaker that lines up at the running back position. But he will be in a slot. They will use him multiple ways. He's too good of an athlete, too good of a route runner uh, to not be used uh, at different positions on the offense, whether that's slot, whether that is <laughs> whether it's in the backfield. He will just be do uh a lot of things. Debo, you're throwing me off. 
off here. If you're listening on, on your on your earballs there, Debo put up a headline that screams Jameer Gibbs, not a running back, and now Rick is off his game. <laughs> he will have a major impact in the passing game for the Detroit Lions. Um I'm trying to think. Let's see who else they have there. So they have they have David Montgomery, who's uh, a little long in the tooth, came over from Chicago, obviously. And then the wide receiver, they have Josh Reynolds. They have Marvin Jones. They have Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot. They drafted uh, Pete's favorite player on planet Earth, UNC wide receiver Antoine Green, on day three. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity. Sam Laporte of the tight end they also drafted early in round two. Jimmy Gibbs feels like he's going to get, let's say there's 60 snaps offensively uh, a game. I think he's out there at least 30? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, I agree with that. Okay. And he would have had more if, I believe, they didn't screw up the uh, kickoff <laughs> return rule uh, because oh. they utilized him as a kickoff returner too. But that may – and they may still I'm, – I'm anxious to see how teams handle this new kickoff return rule. Um, but he also can – you can put the ball in his hands as a kickoff returner as well and can be an impact. So you're interested. You say you're interested to see how teams handle it. Is there any strategy that college teams use that I, I'm unaware of for the kickoff rule? Not that I mean, I never really studied it. Studied it, you yeah. know. For in fact, uh, analytics said that if you kick it off in the end zone, you ha- I can't remember. It was a very low percentage of actually getting it out past the 25 yard line. I agree. So yeah. I, anecdotally, I agree with that. A lot of teams just you know downing it in the end zone, except if you have a Cordero Patterson or, or premier kickoff returner, that just right. say the green light every time. So I asked Rich McKay when we had him on uh, one of the shows that I was doing. Side job. <laughs> side job. <laughs> and he said that they studied the kickoff returns that were fielded in front of the goal line to 25 where the new, technically fair catch rule is and that's where most of the concussions came in okay now i think teams will try to maybe potentially squib uh some teams will still try to pooch uh, but it'll be interesting to see and i didn't know this stat this is what i would do right now i'd have my analytics department take out all the kickoffs that were into the end zone and let's look at how many returns were between the goal line and 25, wherever they caught the ball in a kickoff Mm -hmm. because you couldn't down it last year. And how many times that go past or the 25 yard line. So there's a lot of interesting things. So that'll be a new twist, but I know the special teams coaches were pretty upset with the new rule uh, because that's just eliminating another phase. So basically they're down to maybe coaching two phases, right? Return. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of strategic thinking and ways to take advantage of this new role if they can. Yeah, one of the things, and this again, this is just anecdotal, Bill Belichick was a special teams coach early in his career, and it felt like you rarely saw, historically, a lot of his players take the ball out on kickoffs. And you mentioned the, the concerns, the concussion concerns that Rich McKay talked about. There's also... There's a better chance you fumble the ball if you're not fair catching it, right? So there's that concern. And one thing that drives me crazy as a fan is how it feels impossible. Why do gunners and people on special teams, how do you get called for blocks in the back time and time and time again? That is one of the things that drives me crazy. Like pass interference, I get late hits, whatever that happens. Um, roughing the passer, okay, you didn't see the where the ball was. But I it drives me absolutely bonkers to see blocks in the back on in the return game. Do you have any yeah. answers for me? That was a point of emphasis that the officials were looking for, especially in the return game. They wanted to eliminate that blindside block or someone coming in and clocking someone as mm-hmm. they ran down to try to, again, player safety. But a lot of times, if a player is not blocking him in the back, but on his side, right, and depending on where his head is, so what – special teams coaches started to teach is the saber technique and the saber technique is without delivering a blow. And if you're on the side of the person or the player you are blocking that you stick your arms out. like Oh this. yeah. You see that. You see that all the time. 
What does saber mean? That's like a saber sword. Sword. Oh, you're making yourself into a, a sword, sort of? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love that. Like that, and that has never been but called. That was a technique that was, yeah, that there, you see a lot of this, and sometimes they're back weeping <laughs> and be against the guy. Yeah. Blocking and the guy's exactly. on the back side here. That is because that's eliminating a potential illegal hit or a block in the back. And it's one of those things where, yes, it's football, yes, it's physical, but you don't need to knock someone into the dirt. You just need to get in their way and slow right. them up like a half step. So and that makes a return because that's right. where most of the injuries are going to come, and that's where they're trying to really implement these rules in player safety. Look at that. I learned something. Saber technique. Try that out today, Debo, at the grocery store. Try the saber technique with the old lady that cuts in front of you and see what happens. Just think of it as someone posting up in a basketball game. Right. Absolutely. That's the exact same thing, except you're running full speed. All right. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, something else to keep an eye on. I mentioned Bill Belichick. Let's go to old Foxborough here and talk about Malik Cunningham, quarterback out of Louisville. We saw him at the uh, the Senior Bowl, and he had some ups and had some downs, and that sort of defines his career as a quarterback. But um, he might be changing positions. So he was catching passes with the wide receivers at Patriots OTAs this week. And – let me ask you this, and th- this isn't uncommon for the Patriots, for example. Julian Edelman for, uh, was a quarterback coming out, and he had uh, a really good career in New England, won Super Bowls, playing wide receiver. How do these decisions get made? Do they get made in the lead-up to the draft? Do they get made on these conversations we're having when you're signing these free agents on, on at the end of day three, or is it the conversations you're having between the end of the draft and now about moving these guys around? No, it's all-stars pre-draft. And the one thing that you want to make sure is that if we sign this player or draft this player and he is like, we'll take that example. Uh, Malik is a quarterback. Is he willing to move to try to be another position, a receiver? And if they say no, then that's an issue. That could be a potential issue because you don't want to take draft him. Then if he's absolutely sold on just playing quarterback, but Malik is a very, good athlete. Um, we know him, you know, as a quarterback. And I think you had, you had a little bit of love for him during yeah. the pre-draft process. Yep. But if that's a way for him to make the 53, uh, and potentially he can be uh, your, your quarterback that runs show team during the week too. So he can do multiple mm. things. But if they think he's that good of an athlete with the speed that he has, that can help their football team, but the player has to be willing to make that change as well, or else it probably won't work. So would you but bring that's that all up done pre-draft? Would you bring that up then at say a combine interview with Malik? You said, Hey, we want you to play quarterback. Oh, yeah. what do you- no, you're definitely having these conversations. And what or- if he says to you, No, I'm a quarterback? Well, those are the things on maybe you sell them on a vision that you have. Um okay. maybe you're bringing him up on the top 30 and why explaining why you see him and hey we could still develop you potentially as a quarterback but for you the best chance to make this roster right is to be able to do multiple things so those are a lot of conversations that you have pre-draft before you make a move like this and so just a- you don't draft draft or take a quarterback and first day of practice you throw him <laughs> out you're going to have some issues hey by the way yeah. <laughs> so is this a little uh a bug you, you plant in the ear of the agent too. Back in February, you, you talked oh, yeah, no, you talk to the player and you talk to the agent on what you're thinking and what your plan is and right. how you think that it's uh, the best interest for him that if we invest in this player uh, to help not only make our team, but potentially help our team win games down the road. Well, let me ask you about, about a, well, uh, who was the a little corner that they took last year, the returner. They Marcus actually, Jones out of Houston. Yeah, and the way they throw him a quick screen pass, and next thing you know, he's 90 yards down the field. And he actually played some wide receiver at Houston as well, but he was primarily a defensive back and a a smallish one, 5'8", maybe. But uh, I I love this game. All right, I'm going to give you a quarterback that you drafted out of UAB who did not play quarterback in the NFL, primarily. UAB. We drafted him. Played a little quarterback. A little yeah. quarterback, he but primarily my Christmas in 2010. Yeah. He was what? I said he ruined my Christmas time during 2010. He must season. have been the Vikings in 2010. 
Oh, Joe Webb. Webb? Joe yeah, Webb. You got it. Yeah. So. Was there a conversation? So go through the conversations, I guess, is the question about what your plans were for him. Mainly as a as a quarterback, we did use him some on special teams, and again, another great athlete. Yeah, uh, Joe had the best line that I've ever heard someone <laughs> going into a preseason game at quarterback. He was like, I was because I was down on the sideline. It was like fourth quarter. He was going in his rookie year. He looks at me and he goes. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but there's something going to happen. I can't predict <laughs> if it's good or bad, but there's some crap that's going to happen when I get out there. So he said, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought him in as a quarterback. Is that what you said? Yes. So you drafted him as a quarterback. At what point did you decide during the evaluation process, during the first, second year, whatever, that let's see what else he can do? Yeah, no, just because we want he was such a great kid and such a great athlete. We wanted to try to move him around at multiple positions, but we had him at quarterback. In fact, he played some quarterback for us and did a – was it Debo? I, I'm trying to go way back in my Rolodex. Did he win a game or two for us at quarterback? He did, he did beat the Eagles. Uh, <laughs> it was a – remember the game that got switched to like a Tuesday because Tuesday, of the weather? Because- because of the snowstorm. Yeah, we were stuck in a Ritz-Carlton downtown Philly. Oh, stuck. <laughs> three days. I ate so many Philly cheesesteaks, I couldn't even walk <laughs> by the time we got to the game. It so, was, wait. Uh, the, the Eagles actually, uh, Andy Reid was there at the time, actually uh, let us come over and do some walkthroughs and have a practice because we were delayed. There was nowhere to go because of the, uh, the snowstorm. So, they gave us the indoor uh, practice bubble to go over there. Yeah, which look at that. Very nice. Uh, Blew up in his face. He shouldn't have done it because he lost. Yeah. Well, that was uh, uh, that wasn't Philly like to extend it. <laughs> is it, Debo? <laughs> City of brotherly love, Rick. The Eagles were uh, two touchdown favorites in that game. Wow. And the Vikings won 24 14. 2010. Who was the Eagles quarterback then, Debo? Would have been Vic. It was Vic. Okay. Two touchdown favorites. Way to go, Rick. Huge victory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I want to mention one more thing, and then we'll get out of here. We're running real long here. Does it mean anything in Debo's astute eye? I noticed this in the Malik Willis, uh, Malik Willis, Malik Cunningham clip from OTAs where he's uh, running routes. He's wearing number 64. Is that a concern? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the way uh, Coach Belichick does it. I think the rookies have to earn their number before. They just throw numbers on them. You're exactly right. I got you got the because Kayshawn Booty's wearing number 58. And I checked really quickly. Mac Jones is wearing number 50 his rookie season during OTA. Yep. So you're right. He just throws numbers on him. Anywhere else, though, the 64 might be concerned if you're trying to make it as a wide receiver, I think. <laughs> I don't think there's been a 60 number 64 <laughs> that actually has ever done anything in the NFL wide receiver or any other level. Maybe uh uh little league. Jeff Harding's number 64 for the Steelers after he left Detroit. He won a Super Bowl. But other than that, that's the only 64 that comes to mind. Do you have a favorite 64, Rick? No. What number are you wearing back there? 94? 94. That's a picture of me and my brother in training camp together. What number is your brother? That's the only one of the only – he's 54. Okay. It's one of the only uh, things that survived the hurricane. Oh, great. That's good. How about the stashers? I love – oh, my gosh. As uh, as Pete calls it, two meatheads. <laughs> <laughs> How about the neck? I was about 245 back then. Rick, can you take a picture and send that to me? <laughs> just for <laughs> just for personal use. Were you 6'2? 6'2, 245? About 6'1. 6'1, Debo, do you know what Rick's 40 time was back then? Have you heard this story? Uh, sub 4'6. Four, or 4'6? Four, yeah, 4'6. Four, 4'6'4. Four, 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 four. Four, four. Look at this guy. Burner. Not a 6'4. Yeah. What, uh, what Vikings legend wore number 64? Oh boy, Ron Yeri. Oh, a uh, a Hall of Famer, Mitch Tinglehoff. Nope, Randall McDan uh, Randall uh, the guard, Randall McDaniel. There we go. Nice. Look at the look at this guy. These right. I, can, I I actually won the code to Paramount Plus today. <laughs> Again. <laughs> All right, yeah, so we'll get that sorted. I, I think I gave you the, the instructions. If not, just give me a call. And by the way, I'll tell you, did I tell you the golf story where I almost killed myself? No, no. I'll, I'll save that for later. But I'll tell you another golf story that I love. And this is when I was like, 
11 or 12. Uh, this guy was so angry with the way he was playing. He took his golf bag and he threw it in the in the pond on the golf course and walked off. And like two minutes later, he came back. He's like, oh, okay, he's get his golf clubs. He got the golf clubs out, got his car keys out, and threw the golf bag back in the pond and then left. <laughs> Don't be that guy, Rick. Don't be I'm that guy. And the one thing that I want to leave is that, you know, the other day my wife sent me to the store, you know, and uh, she told me to pick up six cans of Sprite. Yeah. And when I got home, I realized the mistake I made because I picked seven up. <laughs> Devo, what have you done? <laughs> what and that done? is it for another show and a wrap on with the first pick. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we're out of here. We'll end on that, that dad joke. You can uh, let us know whether it's a good one or not. I think I know the answer. We'll be back next week. Hope everyone has a good weekend. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Debo. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys later.